spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Hitting yet another milestone this week, it's episode 300 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and oh, have I got a great show for you this week. You might remember, every time we have one of these special episodes, I like to try and pack it full with as many amazing things as possible, and that is what you are in store for this week. And as a matter of fact, so many interviews going to be talking to Christopher Hastings here in a couple minutes about the new Quantum and Woody book for Valiant. And you know, Arrow's final episode is coming up this Tuesday. And you might have seen in the photos that were released before that, somebody making their return. Yeah, Ragman's coming back. So I've got Joe Dinicall on the show this week to talk about that. And how about this? From Fox's Prodigal Son and a million other things that you know him from, going to be talking to Lou Diamond Phillips later on in the show as well. I'm so excited for you to hear what he has to say. Also got a couple of sponsors this week to talk about, Bespoke Post and their amazing subscription boxes. I'll tell you all about that and a great deal that I have for you. And also, Keeps, if you want to keep your hair, you're going to want to stick around and for another great deal that I'm going to tell you about as well. Let's just jump right into it, shall we? A very special edition of what we're reading, Talking Comics, with Christopher Hastings, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Kent, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I can't think of a better way to kick off our 300th episode than talking about a new chapter in the story for the world's worst superhero team, and that is Quantum and Woody from Valiant. This Wednesday, the first issue of their new series drops, and I just happened to be talking about it this week with writer Christopher Hastings. Christopher, what's up, man? Hey, thank you so much for having me. So what is it about Quantum and Woody that makes them so much fun to write? And do you feel like this is kind of a superhero <laughs> story with no limits? They kind of have a comedic premise and potential just baked into them. You know, the idea that they are brothers who do not get along, but are forced to be together by the power bands that uh, give them their superpowers, but could also make them, you know, disintegrate into nothing if they don't touch them together every 24 hours. It's just, it's immediate instant conflict and you can play it so many different ways. Now, it's funny because I, I want to actually jump to that question. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. And, you know, we we know that the brothers have always had issues, like you said, but it seems like Eric has more trust issues with Woody than ever after this first issue. Now, do you think that's justified or is it, or is his judgment just kind of clouded because Woody's kind of an unstoppable pain in the ass? <laughs> I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, I think, give it uh, too much thought on amping it up. I was just like, yeah, Woody's always been a con man, and uh, Quantum doesn't trust him uh, when he seemingly suddenly has new superpowers. He he thinks it's a scam. Now, I wanted to ask you this because th- this feels like a de- it definitely feels like a fresh perspective on the characters, even though there's all obviously been Rick's books written by Christopher Priest, and I believe that Elliot Rahal did some as well. Now, were you a fan of any of the previous issues, or did mm-hmm. you want to kind of go in completely fresh? It's a little bit of both. I um, I mean, I have I have been a Quantum Woody fan since, you know, Priest and Bright in the 90s, you know, when I was, you know, a teenager. And I really, really enjoyed sort of the reboot that James Asmus sort of brought around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I regularly reread the Daniel Kibblesmith and um, Kano run because I just think the storytelling is so cool. They do so many neat techniques in it. So I, <laughs> it was a little intimidating. I was like, uh, everybody's done a really good, anything I want <laughs> to do differently, somebody else kind of already did it. So I just went in there and I was just like, well, I'm going to respect the tone and I'm going to keep it going. And the main things that I'm doing differently is like, I'm really treating it episodically. I really want to bring like uh, strong single issues and I think that works especially well with a comedy, you know, that like, you know, you can get in and out in an issue, but there is still, you know, the, the overarching story that goes through the whole thing. But I want everyone to be like just packed 
and you know super entertaining on their own so that that's kind of like my my main focus and then yeah just making them very funny uh from the very beginning but also letting them you know creep into your heart a little bit as we go on Speaking of a story that's going to be ongoing, I'm sure one of those things is going to be Woody's new power. I don't know whether or not to put that in air quotes. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe get to that here in a second. Now, you'd think this would actually help a superhero <laughs> team, but do you think it might actually make things worse? I mean, I, I, I think with, with these guys, it has to be a mix of both. <laughs> I do like seeing, you know, I, you know, I want to give them some wins. You know, I, I think that's nice, but I also... Very much, I you know, I want to set up a, a a scenario that is just causing more and more problems as they go. So it's it's a healthy mix. Yeah, I, I I'm really interested to see how people react to the layers of what's going on with Woody's new powers as as we reveal them. Now, Chris, I expected this book to have plenty of fun moments, and it absolutely did in the first issue right off the bat. But what I didn't expect was to have one of the most creepy families ever be a part of this book so talk about the world's worst nuclear family and how quickly we find out who they're working for right yeah so i i wanted to you know introduce a lot of new cast members um in this series with a focus on bouncing them off of quantum and woody's dynamic or making them some sort of reflection of what's going on with quantum and woody so you know quantum and woody are bad superheroes and they are a dysfunctional family so I thought, what if I have really, really competent, super evil supervillains who are like just a really loving, good for each other family? <laughs> and um, like you said, that makes them kind of creepy uh, because they're just super effectively ripping apart people and murdering them while, you know, just like having really great communication across the family and supporting each other. And then, you know, a lot of that creepiness, I think, comes from the costume design that mm. uh, our artist Ryan Brown came up with. Those masks are terrifying. Talking to Christopher Hastings, the writer for Quantum and Woody, which will be out on January the 29th at your favorite comic book shops and digital retailers as well. Now, Chris, you brought up Ryan Brown. Now, he went on Twitter not too long ago and said that you guys were making, and I quote, making some really weird-ass comics together. Now, can you share something that was amazingly weird that he brought to life for this story that you can tease for maybe a future issue? Yeah, for sure. Let's see. Um, I mean, I think he's really thinking about, we have, we have a new villain who is, he's sort of like a brain monster with like, like tentacle, like, you know, um, nervous system. And this character, like he, his whole thing is that he latches onto people and takes possession of their bodies He's really creepy, but his name is Dr. Toilet. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so we, saw, we actually see a little bit of that in the first issue then, right? Yeah, you, yeah, you okay. get a little tease on, on him. Yeah, and sort of the idea being that, like, he is sort of a great Quantum and Woody punching bag villain that they beat up. There's, like, a there's a pan, at least a panel of them beating him up in every single issue. <laughs> Just sort of, like, the idea is, like, yeah, they're superhero, and they fight stupid supervillains, like, this this guy. And then... The idea is that as we see more of him, you're like, no, like he's he's scary, and they maybe should treat him a little more seriously, despite his ridiculous name. And so, yeah, that is another character that I think when Ryan first sat down to draw it, he was like, this this is ridiculous. We are doing we are doing ridiculous things here. That's awesome. Now, speaking of fun, I don't think I've ever heard of a book having a pre-order bonus like this one did for anybody that was lucky enough to pre-order the book. Now, how fun was it to come up with that? And did it kind of give you an indication of how important this book was to Valiant? Yeah, you know, that's uh, that's a that's a great point. I have been so just utterly pleased and refreshed with how supportive Valiant has been with this book. They Everybody is behind it. And it's like, and I told them, I was like, all right, yeah, if you're you're getting behind it i'm going to do everything i can to to make this book really work and get into people's hands so yeah they were like let's do this pre-order bonus that's kind of a combination of behind the scenes features but we're going to make it like a children's activity book and it's kind of crazy i i really only did one small piece of that a lot of that like came from their office you know a lot of that work that's really cool to know. That's really interesting. And I, I, I haven't seen it my, with my own eyes yet, but I, I absolutely have to see this because the description was, it was insanely weird and cool. So it's behind the scenes stuff, but it's like, it's like a crazy children's book. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really neat. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm impressed. 
especially the Mad Libs. I'd be down for that. <laughs> yeah, that is the one part that I did. I was like, okay, let's write a letter. And I just, just uh, kind of trying to come up with the weirdest spaces to like <laughs> have someone put in their own words. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Now, one thing, Chris, that is constant in every Quantum and Woody story, and you mentioned it earlier, is the clang. Now, can you think of something that you absolutely have to do every 24 hours to survive yourself other than obviously like breathing and eating and drinking and stuff? Oh, gosh. Hmm. Something I have to do every 24 hours to survive that is not literally tied to my existence. I am stalling for time as I try to come up with an answer. <laughs> You're doing a really good job, too. <laughs> Honestly, like, I, I, gosh, caffeine is a big one. And there I know that, That's like, mine right there. That's it. Yeah. I, and it's, it's my, yeah, my, my morning coffee ritual, um, has, is, is pretty important. Thankfully, I, I only do one cup a day. I'm not too serious, but like, if I skip it for a day, I'll notice I'll feel weird the next day. I'm like, oh, I didn't have coffee yesterday. That's why I feel so weird. You're a better man than me because I'm I'm a caffeine addict, and I'm a, and I'll fully admit it. But, I, but I've got <laughs> I've got little ones in the house, so I blame it on that. <laughs> I I, th- I drink plenty of tea throughout the rest me of the too. day. Me too. There I, you I, go. I, See. I, I keep it to one cup of coffee, but then I drink a lot of green tea. See, great minds right here. See, that's 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 exactly there, there it is. Yeah, yeah, there we go. The green tea keeps you feeling level without getting jittery. It's great. There you go. Now, before I let you go, Chris, you're going out on a signing tour for the first issue on the, starting on the release date. Ryan Brown is as well on January the 29th. Now, what are you looking forward to the most about meeting fellow Quantum and Woody fans? You know, we we do this work alone in our houses, pretty much. Um, so. It's always nice to have the the time to actually connect with the people that you are sort of figuratively reaching out to with your work, you know, you know, as a writer even writing silly superhero comics like Quantum Woody, you're you're trying to make a connection of some sort with the reader, you're trying to spark some feeling in them. And so to meet them in person is always really gratifying. Uh to be like, "Oh, yes, someone actually read this. Good." So that's always the big one. And as far as meeting like Quantum Woody fans specifically, I just like, yeah, I just, I, I always love meeting new, I don't know, I guess like segments of the comics fandom. Um, you know, anytime I get put on a new character, it's, it's neat to like suddenly get all these new people that I, you know, wasn't necessarily aware of before. Awesome, and you can get your hands on that issue. Whether you're able to make it to one of the signings or not, you can get yours at your favorite local comic book shop. Issue 1 of Quantum and Woody is going to be available on Wednesday, January the 29th, and also at digital retailers as well. Make sure you find out more about the signing tour and about the book, if you like, at valiantentertainment.com. It's writer Christopher Hastings. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Oh, thank you so much, James. I really enjoyed it. You already heard my review of the first issue last week, and now I want to read more of it even more after hearing Christopher Hastings talking about what's to come for Quantum and Woody. Make sure you're getting that book. New comic book day this Wednesday. Get the first issue. Make sure you put it in your pull box as well. This is one you're definitely going to want to read every week from Valiant Entertainment. It's going to do it for a special edition of what we're reading. Up next, Joe Dinicall joins the show this week to talk about the series finale of Arrow. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah, brother. This is Josh Segura, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The series finale, hard to believe I'm saying that out loud, of Arrow is going to be coming up this Tuesday starting at 8 o'clock with a special retrospective, but... Here's a guy that we didn't expect to be back, but clearly he is back. It's Rory Regan, Ragman himself, Joe Dinicall. What's up, man? Uh, not much, man. How's it going? Thanks for thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled. Pretty good. And, I mean, when did you actually find out you were going to be returning for this finale? Honestly, um, I, I, maybe two weeks before I went to do it, I want to say. Maybe a little bit before. You know, the, these, um, you know, especially with something like Arrow, because they're, you know, they juggle a lot of, characters and they they want to you know i think there's been um, a number of times they had sort of wanted to bring me back in various capacities and include me in the show and you know for a myriad of reasons things just don't work out so you know you get these calls going like ah maybe you'll go back and do a thing at this time and you kind of you know you take it with a grain of salt and and uh and then i i found out yeah just a couple of weeks before we filmed it so probably sort of end of october and uh yeah it was obviously a, a huge thrill to not just to get to go back, but to be a part of the the, the final episode was um, was was very cool. 
Now, there was a lot of loss in Crisis, and, I mean, entire Earth seemingly were lost. Now, given that Rory kind of went through, you know, something similar with losing Haven Rock, do you think that kind of gives him a unique perspective on this aftermath of Crisis? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, Rory always sort of served as a as a as a grounding force um, for people dealing with tragedy. That's sort of the way I always looked at it, whether it be Felicity or Oliver. I think he was sort of seen as someone who had gone through these these very heavy ordeals already in his own life, and and they could kind of uh, rely on him to sort of even quietly understand what was going on. So it was nice to get to to bring that to that final episode. Now, I think it's no secret that, you know, things weren't always great between Oliver and Rory. I mean, he even went through some pretty harsh mm-hmm. training and criticism while he was with Team yeah. Arrow. I mean, things eventually got better, but now that Oliver's gone, how do you think that Rory will remember him? You know, I think, and I don't want to say too much because it's, you know, a, a, a lot of this is in the episode. But, you know, I think um, I think even in the in the beginning of season five when Rory first came in, I think there was a... Uh, sort of unlike the rest of the team, which was going through this very brutal training regime, there was a sort of a this this um, mutual respect between Oliver and Rory that I always that I was kind of like that they had that they had dealt with great loss and come to seeking justice and fighting crime in in a very similar way. And so I think in, in with the loss of Oliver, I think uh, I think Rory is probably one of the reasons he comes back is to, is to honor that thing that they had in common in the first place. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there was always a, whether it be friendly or not, I think there was always a kinship between the two of them, sort of um, largely unspoken, but always, always sort of uh, weighted on their, on their relationship. Definitely. Now, I'm sure that at some point during the final episode, I don't think this is, you know, going on a limb too much. There's going to be a toast to Oliver mm-hmm. at some point, probably with members of Team Arrow. So any chance that Rory brought along some of that famous uh, homemade schnapps with him when he was there? <laughs> that's a, wow, that's a deep cut. Yeah, um, I obviously won't answer that. But, uh, you know, there, I'm, I'm sure there will be something like a toast. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, I will say, there's it, it's, a, it's a great celebration of the show. You know, one of the great things that, that that show does so well is, is it deals with these continuing epic storylines uh, while also maintaining each episode as sort of its own thing. And I think that that is very true of the final episode in that, you know, it's wrapping up uh, a lot of, you know, eight years of, of, of story and character while also being um, a sort of a microcosm of what the show always was and a real celebration of it. So I, I think schnapps or not people will be very very pleased and 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 very emotional uh by by the ending of it you know it's funny i i hadn't really been there in a couple of years i did a little thing last year at the 150th episode but i uh i hadn't really been around and i was surprised to see how sort of uh how emotional it was just to be back and and uh and to be a part of it um, as it as it winds down Absolutely. We're talking to Joe Denikal, of course, played Ragman Rory Regan on Arrow. The final episode airs this coming Tuesday at 8 and 9 o'clock, actually, on The CW. Now, Joe, there was a photo that was released by The CW, or actually a few of them, uh, Mm -hmm. several of the past and present members of Team Arrow, kind of looking at something on Felicity's screen in the Arrow Cave. Now, I know you can't tell us what it is, but Mm -hmm. is that moment as significant as it appears to be? Yes, I mean again, it's uh, it, it's significant in in the way I, I'll try and say this as cryptically as possible. Um, it's significant in the way I just described that uh, uh, that the last episode is also a true episode of Arrow, and so I won't say any more than that. But uh, but to have all sort of teams of of Team Arrow, or all members of Team Arrow, past and present. Uh, together and future, <laughs> maybe um, together. Sort of, uh, uh, they're, they're all focused on something very important to the to the final leg of this journey. Awesome. Now, if I if I remember correctly, Rory was a big fan of the Flash and of Supergirl. So now that he seems to kind of be back, <laughs> and with everyone existing on Earth Prime, is there maybe a chance we could get to see Ragman suit up on one of the other shows at some point, maybe? Hey, listen. I mean, I you know, uh, the, you know, between Greg Berlanti and Mark Guggenheim and and all the all and Beth Schwartz and and all the people in that, uh, in that, I'm such a huge fan of everyone who who occupies that that universe. And I would of course be more than honored. I, I love 
I love what I get to do in that world. But again, it's, uh, you know, it, it, there's, um, it's really what they need. You know, they, they treat us all very, very well. And we all get to go and, and play, play superheroes. We, we get our end of the bargain. And so if they ever need me to, to do more and, 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 uh, and, or, you know, be on another show, I would of course welcome that with the openest of arms. So, you know, uh, that's a long way of saying from your lips to God's ears and by God, I mean, right, yeah. Beth Schwartz and Greg Berlanti and Mark Guggenheim, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a yes from me, but I, I'm not, uh, I'm not in charge of any of this stuff. I would be, I would be thrilled, of course. Now, Joe, speaking of coming back, we've seen David return to Blind Spot on more than one occasion. I mean, even if it was just yeah. in, in Patterson's head. Now, with that show kind of heading yeah. into its final season as well, is it possible that we could kind of see him make maybe one more appearance in some way? Or, is, or was his last one kind of like the perfect way to say goodbye, you think? I will not answer that question. <laughs> I will not. Wow, I'm, that's I'm even actually, more cryptic I'm, than some of the other stuff. I know. I will say that I am actually calling you from uh, Martin Garrow's house. Martin Garrow, who created Blindspot, um, really? is one of my one of my dearest friends in the world. Um, he's been on the and show. If I were, he's been on the show. That's right. And so, yep. you know, uh, to to answer that, uh, I don't know what uh, what sort of uh, listening devices he has in the house, or or what kind of surveillance he might be he might be uh, um, he might be engaged in while I while I uh, do an interview in his house. Um, but I, I will say that because I am uh, so close to Martin, I know that the, the final leg of that uh, journey will be spectacular. Um, just just uh, the tidbits that I know. Um, I, won't, I won't divulge anything else. But, uh, but I think I know that fans of that show are going to be, as, as would the Arrow. Uh, you know, these shows that get to finish, especially a show that is used to doing 22 or 23 episodes a year, with a, with a smaller order, they get to really uh, sort of dig in and, uh, and, and go right for the jugular. So I can say that from what little I know, that, that, that final leg is also going to be deeply satisfying. Excellent. Now, to keep you from being chloroformed, act, you know, somehow in, in Martin's house, we'll switch <laughs> things back to Arrow here for just a second. Now, yeah, now sure. just to kind of wrap things up on this, what was your favorite moment about being a part of Arrow and being on that show? You know, I, I think like any job, you know, Arrow was, a, a, was about the people. You know, I made a lot of great friends on that show. That I, I was there when I was there the first time. I was there for like six months. And that's a long time to work on something. That's just, you know, when you do movies or episodic television, you're never really in one spot for a very long time. And so I made a lot of great friends. Rick Gonzalez is is has become like a, a dear friend of mine, Juliana Harkavy and, and, and Emily. And, uh, you know, there's, a, I made a lot of very close friends on that show and, and sort of equally. So uh, to be on a show that that many people watch, you know, people come up and, and tell me about their experience watching the show, what the character maybe has meant to them or what the show meant to them. And, and just to get to connect with people, you know, we don't, it's funny, I, I'll often get people come up and say, you know, I'm sorry, I don't want to, I, I know this is probably annoying. And I always say, you know, we don't do this stuff in a vacuum. We we do it to be watched. That's the whole point. Right, and right. so when, when people come up and they're like, oh, I watched it and it made me feel good or it, it um, uh, you know, it's it's got me through some tough times or, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, first and foremost a, a really big fan of things, of TV shows and movies. And, and I have that same experience with TV shows that I'm like, oh, I was... You know, I was going through something, but I could always rely on coming home and watching an episode or a couple episodes and, and disappearing or escaping or, or having my struggles reflected back to me in that piece of art. And it helps me sort of wrap my brain around it. You know, I, 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 I'm loath to get too, too lofty about this stuff, but I do think that, uh, you know, art is important and, <laughs> and, it, and it helps us uh, deal, with, deal with things. So that, that's also been really nice. So, I, I, you know, again, that's a long way of saying just the people, the, the fans and the, and the people on the show. It's, it's been the gift that sort of keeps on giving, even, even though I haven't been around for the most part for the last few years. It's, uh, it's something that people want to talk about and, and get excited about, and it's really special. No doubt about it. And it's, again, it's going to be a special night this coming Tuesday. The series finale of Arrow actually starts with a special retrospective at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. And then Fade Out, the final episode, is going to be happening at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. And yes, you will see this guy be a part of it. It's Joe Denicol, who plays Ragman on Arrow. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And I hope everyone enjoys the, uh, the final episode. I, I really think they will. 
You know, when I first saw that photo and I saw Jonah Dinicall there and I saw that Ragman Rory was going to be back for the Arrow finale, I immediately jumped and said, I've got to talk to this guy because that was a character that I always gravitated to when he was on the show because of the reasons that Joe mentioned about the stuff that he's been through and that dynamic between he and Oliver. And remember, he was the one that kind of, you know, put the doubt on who they thought Prometheus was at one point. I think that he is one of the perfect characters to bring back for this final episode. And I can't wait to see not only what's going on with with everybody else in the episode, but, but what Rory's role will be in this episode. And it's, again, it's going to be hard to say goodbye, but I also can't wait at the same time for the final episode of Arrow this coming Tuesday, starting with that special retrospective at 8 o'clock, and then fade out the final episode happening at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on the CW. I really, really hope that is the perfect ending and that we all enjoy it as much as Joe Dinicall thinks that we will. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Bespoke Post and their box of awesome. Now, this is basically just a way to upgrade your everyday life with a ton of great boxes to choose from. There's always different boxes every month. And seriously, it took me so long to figure out which box I actually wanted to try out that I had to, they ended up sending me a second box because I I just, I had such a hard time choosing, but you won't have that same problem. When you get started, you go to boxofawesome.com and you, there's a really fun quiz. You can answer questions, help fit the right box for you and it's free to sign up you can actually skip your box or cancel anytime they're not going to send you anything that you don't want and each box costs only 45 bucks and it has over 70 dollars worth of stuff and as a matter of fact i got the dim box it was full of tech for smart home stuff like it had the, the philips smart smart bulbs in there and it has the hub to help control everything and it's just amazing because my, my son loves to turn off lights. So if I can just tell my smart speaker to turn the lights back on instead of having to get up, that's really, really convenient for me. But And, and there was another box called the Dry Box because I'm not a drinker. And it's got all kinds of great options for non-alcoholic beverages as well. But it, whether you're looking for grooming gear, other barware, cooking tools, a whole bunch of stuff, you will find that in this bespoke post, Box of Awesome. As a matter of fact, if you go to boxofawesome.com right now, enter promo code DNPOD at checkout, you get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up. And, and I got to tell you, again, there's so many amazing boxes here. You might find yourself wanting to try out different boxes. There's so many to choose from with so much uniquely amazing stuff in it. Taking the quiz or not, you're going to want to see what other boxes are available because there's a ton of it. And when you do, go to boxofawesome.com, enter code DNPOD, you get 20% off your first monthly subscription box from Bespoke Post, their box of awesome. Our 300th episode continues now. Going to give a quick spoiler-filled review of Star Trek Picard from CBS All Access. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Dave Dastmalchen, creator of Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to head to the Chateau and give a spoiler-filled review of the Star Trek Picard premiere from CBS All Access. You can watch the first episode right now. Again, tons of spoilers from here on out. I just want to do a really quick review of this, and I got to tell you... You know, anytime you have something like this, you're worried that there's going to be a lot of nostalgia involved and that there's going to be a lot of the focus. And certainly there was some of that, but that's really not the crux of what this series was. It really was about, you know, Jean-Luc Picard. He's living a peaceful life in France. He's got his little chateau. He is suffering from some nightmares. nightmares. A lot of that has to do with Data and what happened to him. But I'll get to back to that in a second. Then you've got a girl who turns out her name is Dodge, and, you know, she was, you know, student in Boston, hanging out with a boyfriend, she just, you know, got accepted into a major school, and then she suddenly attacked, and then activated is the word that they use. Now, you you get to see, she, she suddenly, it seems like, you know, like something goes off in her head, and all of a sudden she just knows things, and, you know, this is not, we're not breaking new ground here story-wise with something like that, but then you move things forward here, and you get the connection to Picard because she sees a flash of Picard in her head. Now, 
Jean-Luc does not want to talk about his separation from Starfleet. There's an interview that he does about the Romulan supernova and, and the Android uprising, and that does not go well. And it seems like it really triggers some like PTSD for him almost. Not completely. He's certainly having nightmares, but there certainly seems to be a little bit of that going on. And you're talking about the ban on synthetics. And then watching him rip into Starfleet and talking about how Starfleet wasn't Starfleet anymore was a powerful scene and really the first one of the episodes that really, really got my attention. And then, you know, obviously when Dodge shows up and tells her everything that he that she knows about what's going on with her or, or what's what she's seen, and then you get to see the Jean-Luc Picard that I think kind of gets almost lost in the shuffle sometimes when you think about the character over the years and that he really is the ultimate humanitarian. He's that guy that you want to be the leader of almost anything, right? Because he's smart. He can be tough when he needs to be, but ultimately he wants to help people. He is that humanitarian. This strange girl, strange woman shows up at his, you know, seemingly, you know, not easy to find chateau. You know, it seems like an invite only type of situation. She just shows up out of the blue and he welcomes her with open arms and wants to help her. Now, granted, she ends up bailing and, you know, and because she doesn't want him to get hurt and she ends up, spoiler alert, again, getting killed in the process as she's attacked again when they meet up a little bit later on. But, you know, it just goes to show you what kind of a guy that Jean-Luc Picard was. Now, what's what wasn't what wasn't a huge surprise for me and what I think was they were hoping would be a huge surprise is that Dodge would have some sort of connection to Data or that he was Data's daughter. I think that they teased that a little too well because it seemed obvious and not just because of the painting. It was just, you know, the verbs that was being used and the whole tone of it. It really, really seemed like that was kind of obvious to me. Now, how that unravels a little bit, though, I think was the surprise. And when Jean-Luc Picard goes and, you know, visits the synthetics lab at, at Starfleet and finds out how small it is and finds out how everything is done and how an essence of data would have had to been used to create her. And that's how we found out that that was his daughter. But what we didn't know was that we're talking about twins and she has a twin sister out there that now might also be in danger and it turns out that her name is Soji and she's a doctor at one of these Romulan relocation facilities I'll get back to that again in a second but it's really interesting to me that you know the Romulans seem to be the ones that were that that assassinate Dodge we're not sure why that is exactly. I mean, obviously Romulans aren't, you know, warm and fuzzy and cuddly, and it seems like they were kind of relocated somewhat against their will here, and and that's something that the series hasn't really gotten into yet. I'm sure we'll peel that onion a little bit more in future episodes, but there was also another really strong speech, and this was after Dodge's death, when Picard wakes up from another nightmare, and clearly he wants to find out what's going on, and he wants to kind of avenge her death. And he said something along the lines of, and I'm not sure the exact quote of this, he said, I wasn't living, I was just waiting to die. And that's when he kind of, the light bulb goes off over his head, and he's like, I'm getting back into this, I'm going to find out what's really going on. And it seems to me it's not just for Dodge, it's for Data. Because he feel he still feels that strong connection to Data, and a little bit of guilt too about what ended up ultimately happening with Data as well. And I think that that, a lot of that is what's driving him. And you see just how strong the bond was between Picard and Data over the years. Now, what's left of the Starfleet synthetic research is not great. And I know that we're going to get a little bit of a team together there out of this first episode. And and a lot of this is going to be on the mission to find Soji. And the rec- the Romulan relocate reclamation site that she's working on, to me, was that a Borg cube? Because to me, it really, really looked like a Borg cube. And I don't need to remind you how serious that would be if that's the case. Now, does that mean we're going to see the Borg version of Picard? Locutus, I believe his name was. Does that mean we're going to see him? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, that that's something that we'll have to figure out 
a little bit later on. But but tonally, the see, I thought that that it was the series was really really well done. Didn't lean heavy on the nostalgia. The premise of the shows kind of is very very interesting. It does drag on a little bit in the middle, but when you it seems like when you're sticking with Picard. And just seeing that character back again and, and remember remembering everything he was and just seeing how he's struggling, you, you really you already care about the character going in because it's Jean-Luc Picard, right? But seeing how he's struggling and he's not sleeping and he's having these nightmares and then seeing that light bulb go off and him turning into the Admiral again is is an incredible moment in this series. And, and we're going to get a lot of that charm too Going forward, I have a feeling. I think this was a solid beginning. I think that they've got a good foundation to build on. There's certainly enough potential surprises in the works from here on out. And, and and you know, Soji, we we kind of know that she's in danger, but is she just going to believe Picard if, he, if and when he does find her? There's a lot of questions that need to be answered. But this is one of those ones that if you were waiting on it and you had high expectations, I do not think... You were disappointed in what you saw from the premiere of Star Trek Picard. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is also brought to you by Keeps. Now, two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time that they're 35. But here's some good news. With today's advancements in science, Keeps offers proven treatments that can help combat the symptoms of hair loss and help you keep the hair that you have at half the cost of your local pharmacy. So basically, you don't have to go broke to keep from going bald. And prevention is really the key here. And that's how Keeps treatments work. And they've really revolutionized things here. You no longer have to go to your doctor's office for your hair loss prescriptions. You can actually visit a doctor online and get your hair loss medications delivered to your home. No more waiting rooms. No more going to the pharmacy. And it's just really a huge time saver. You also get that discreet drug delivery right in the comfort of your own home. As a matter of fact, you can go to keeps.com right now slash nerdy and you'll get your first month of treatment absolutely free. After that, Keeps treatments start at just $10 a month. They've also got a ton of five-star reviews. So if you want help keeping your hair, go to keeps.com slash nerdy and get that first month of treatment for free from Keeps. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the Star Trek Picard series premiere. And up next, there is still a little bit of nerd news to talk about. We'll do that for our 300th episode. Continues next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Rick Remender, comic book nerd of note, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Nothing like an interesting Star Wars story for episode 300. It's time for nerd news, and it is nuclear. Let me tell you, because it was reported by Collider first that the Obi-Wan series was going to be delayed from Disney+. And the report said that it was on hold indefinitely because Kathleen Kennedy said that it, quote, wasn't up to her standards. That's a quote from the article, not necessarily from Kathleen Kennedy herself. You know, head of Lucasfilms, and yeah, you know who Kathleen Kennedy is. I don't need to tell you who she is. Now, apparently the crew had already been set up in London. They were ready to go for pre-production. Now they're hoping to reassemble in the summer. Now, before we get into this here for a second, comicbook.com was actually able to catch up with Ewan McGregor at the Birds of Prey premiere, and McGregor actually told them, Brandon Davis, as a matter of fact, that, you know, it's just been pushed the next year, all is well, it's all good, scripts are great, no problems. But then you've got other reports saying, you know, the episode order's been cut to four episodes, and the Twitter just went off on Kathleen Kennedy. Actually, Kathleen Kennedy at one point was trending more than Obi-Wan actually was. Usually it's the thing that gets delayed that trends, and not an actual person that has to do with it. Now, I understand the frustration here because this is something that a lot of fans really, really want and have wanted for some time. If anything was liked from the prequels, and you know, saying the prequels are universally trash, I don't think is fair, but we're not going to get into that right now. But Ewan McGregor seems to be one thing that fans can agree on that they wanted to see more of as a young Obi-Wan. Now, just because you want something really bad doesn't necessarily mean that you should dump all over Kathleen Kennedy for this. Now, I'm not saying that she doesn't deserve it. I want to put make that perfectly clear. If you just did not like these new Star Wars movies, then you have perfectly good reason to be upset with Kathleen Kennedy. 
If you did not like Solo or Rogue One or, or even Mandalorian, then yes, you've got perfectly re- good reason to be upset. But we also need to consider the possibility that, and it's just, even if it's a small possibility, that just because we really want something and we want it now doesn't mean she's not necessarily right. She could be right. The Mandalorian turned out to be really, really good. That was under her watch. Rogue One, pretty good under her watch. And, you know, I'm an outspoken fan of the new Star Wars movies. They weren't fantastic, no, but they were pretty good. So I guess it all depends on your perspective. But overall, has she done a great job? No, I don't think she has. And, yeah, I'm, I'm also one of those people that says... We need a fresh perspective. We need her out. We need to bring somebody else in. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't be upset with Kathleen Kennedy overall. All I'm saying is maybe not just for this, just because we want it now. If we have to wait another year to get a really, really good product, then I don't see a problem with that. Hopefully that's the case. Again, just because they wait a year doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good either. It could, it could still end up not being good a year later, and if it's based on Kathleen Kennedy saying it wasn't up to her standards, I'm not sure that I would say her standards are something we want to benchmark anything by in the Star Wars world. Although, you could also make the argument, too, that you know, just as much that Kathleen Kennedy's done a terrible job, you could also make the argument that Star Wars fans in general these days are just kind of impossible to please. I'm sorry if that upsets you. But that's true. The Star Wars fandom is hugely toxic right now. Very, very angry. I'm going to get angry tweets about this. I don't care. There's equal amount of blame here on Kathleen Kennedy and the Star Wars fandom as I'm concerned. And I just want good stuff. That's all I really want. That's all I care about. And we'll have to see if Obi-Wan ends up being that. Here's a little bit of a rumor that I wanted to address, but not for too long. And that is from Bleeding Cool that Marvel is planning a secret invasion series for Disney+. Plus. Now, they're citing, you know, the insiders that they can't name. And that happens, you know, with other, with other outlets, too. So I'm not dumping on Bleeding Cool for that. Now, the report says the series is being worked on. It's based on the story, story you know, of several Marvel heroes secretly being scrolls and having been scrolls for a while. And they're waiting out for a big secret attack. And, you know, Bleeding Cool's been kind of in hit or miss with these scoops. And, you know, they've certainly landed some. They've been really, really wrong about others, too. I'm not going to get into specifics on that. You can look them up if you like. There's certainly been plenty of one or the other. And, you know, one of the things they point out to is, well, you know, Marvel's playing that big comic book series. And it's going to be, the scrolls are going to be a big part of that. But my... You can't use that as an argument because since when has anything from the comics ever influenced anything on the screen in this regard? I'm not saying that obviously the stuff from the comics influences influences the stuff on the screen ultimately because that's where these stories are drawn from. I'm just saying Marvel's not looking at something from the comics and saying, oh, we need to pump this up. Let's make a TV series about the same thing. And then that way people will want to watch it. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work in reverse. Like that, so I wouldn't use that as a piece of evidence at all. The other thing that kind of makes me go, "Oh, really? Come on!" is they, there was a second report in the same scoop, and I put that in quotes for now. That there's also another major MCU character getting a Disney Plus series, but there's no indication as to who or what it's going to be or anything like that. So, you know, while that's you know, obviously that would be fun, and you know, you you could you know, toss up who it could possibly be. There's certainly plenty of choices out there. It's all of this to me is premature. Secret Invasion, yeah, it could happen, but as a Disney Plus series, I don't know. Maybe that could be something that is part of a new phase of the MCU. I could certainly see them them doing that. Ultimately, that could be an interesting movie, but as a Disney Plus series, I'm not I'm just not sure that it works and how many episodes it would need to be to really, really work well. I mean, you could make the argument that if you could do Crisis on Infinite Earths in five episodes, why couldn't you do Secret Invasion in five or six as well? Yeah, I guess you could certainly do that if you wanted to. I'd just be really leery of this report. I think this is going to be one of those things, if I were to guess, and to me this just seems like the same thing that's going on here, I would say this is going to end up being partially true. 
And we'll find out how much of this ends up being true. And I also want to say there's, I, I know plenty of folks that work at Bleeding Cool. There's plenty of good folks that do. I'm just saying that just like any other outlet, and this happens to everybody, sometimes you're really right. Sometimes you're really wrong, but you know, sometimes you just got to report what you find out and see where the chips fall from there. We'll see what happens with this. And of course, I'll keep you posted on any updates. Here's something that I think is going to be really, really interesting, and that's that Rick Remender signed a three-year deal with Sony Television, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Now, his giant generator production company will produce TV series of his creator-owned projects. Now, it's going to start with Fear Agent, which is already signed on for Amazon. Apparently, there was a bidding war there. And I wasn't really familiar with Fear Agent. I'll be honest, this is one of the remember stories I haven't read. I'm gonna now that I know what it's about. It's basically, the logline was interstellar invaders, time travel, clones of clones of clones, and a lot of whiskey. And then you've got the synopsis of whether he's battling the scourge of space or going back in time to stop an alien invasion that changed Earth forever or winning his ex-wife back. There's nothing that Heath Hudson won't do to try and right the wrongs and get his family back. And the, to me, I'm all in for that. Sounds like a fun little ride. Sounds like it could be interesting. And th- there's a superstar creative team involved in that as well, this, which is really, really neat. I'm just hoping that we get low. Low is such a gorgeous comic that I hope that that can find a home and be developed because I think that would be beautiful on TV. Also something that Amazon could do. You see Amazon, how well they did Carnival Row. I think you could do low in the same kind of vibe as Carnival Row and make that really, really cool. Death or Glory, I think, would be really, really fun and something you wouldn't have to break the bank to do. I think that could be a really fun fun series. And Tokyo Ghost as well. I'm not sure budget-wise how that would work as a TV series, but I think that would be a fantastic one to do as well. So there's three throw, I'll throw out there that I'd like to see done. I also, I think it's great that, you know, Sony and Rick Remender are maintaining this relationship, even though obviously things didn't go as well as they had hoped with Deadly Class. But, you know, that seemed like it was more of a sci-fi thing than a Sony TV thing. I think Sony tried as much as they could to get Deadly Class on another network, and it just didn't work out. So it seems like that relationship is still pretty solid from Rick Remender and from... Sony Pictures Television. So, I'm. I mean, if you're gonna start with Fear Agent, I'm fine with that. But I hope we get those others that I mentioned at some point. And over the course of the three years, it's certainly possible. It's gonna do for nerd news. Up next, gonna cap off our big 300th episode with a big name. It's Lou Diamond Phillips joining me to talk about Fox's Prodigal Son next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Keiko Agena from Fox's Prodigal Son, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 300 episodes, and I thought to myself, who would we want to bring on for such a momentous occasion? How about a guy that you know that's been around for a long, long time and is doing an amazing job as Detective Gil Arroyo on Fox's Prodigal Son? It is the legendary Lou Diamond Phillips. How's it going? I, I'm great, and yes, uh, a perfect guess because I am 300 years old. You know, at least I've been around for 300 years. <laughs> you've played some 300-year-old characters, I'm sure. Seems that way right? sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> Now, you've played a lot of amazing characters over the course of nearly four decades of your career. Now, what is one thing about Gil Arroyo that stands out to you more than the others? Wow. Uh, you know, I, mean, I, I said this a few years ago, uh, and, and, and it's really cool you know, to be playing guys my age, to be playing guys who have experienced things that I've experienced in life. I get to play between the lines. It's not, it's not just about... You know the dialogue. It's it's about you know how he presents himself, and and uh, you know I, I think at this point in life, uh, I and he have earned that that sense of gravitas. You know, I mean, Gil started out as a beat cop, lives in New York City. You know, he sees a lot of that, and and you know we get that sense of history. You know, right from Jump Street. The other thing about Gil that I absolutely love is that is that he really leads with his paternal instinct. That is, I think, the primary characteristic when people think of Gil. I mean, even Keiko Agana, you know, calls me Papa Gil on set. And <laughs> that extends beyond the relationship, you know, with, with Malcolm. I mean, he's that way with his entire team. He's very protective and, and he's very, he, he cares quite a lot. And I, and I think you sense that, you know, real connection that all these characters have. Now, beyond just the story of the show, which is amazing, there's also uh, the story about 
mental illness and Malcolm's struggle with it. We've seen how much Gil has done to support him. How do you think the show balances portraying that mental illness, but also the person, the people that are supporting those that are suffering from it as well? Yeah, and you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Gil has to walk that fine line of, of using Malcolm, uh, utilizing his talents as a profiler and putting him in harm's way, which is, you know, his real concern for, for his mental well-being. I think that everybody gets that that Malcolm is is, is damaged. That there's a there's a lot going on there. That he has, you know, certain demons. And so, you know, I mean, his his, his job in and of itself is a trigger. You know, are, are there great aspects to that? Yes, because they solve crimes, and yes, it gives uh, Malcolm an outlet. But it also is one of the reasons he can't sleep at night. You know, that that is a, a conundrum that continues throughout the first season, uh, and actually, you know, boils over in in this upcoming episode where. I mean, Malcolm himself is being is being psychoanalyzed, and, and uh, his fitness for the job is is being questioned. And you know, is that going to bring out issues between he and Bill? So uh, you know, it's 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 nice because we don't just gloss over that and go, oh, he's a quirky character. You know, uh, we're we're trying to deal with this in a in a very realistic way. Now, one of the biggest moments in the show happened in this past week's episode, where Gil finally comes face to face with the surgeon after all these years. Now, what was it like to film those scenes, and how much of an effect will that meeting have on Gil going forward this season? <laughs> First of all, man, that was, like, that was like a feast to be able to, to work with Michael and, and you know, the Zucker sisters who wrote that episode really just gave us so much to chew on. And, and what's wonderful is I, I, I think it, uh, it really whetted our audience's appetite we're seeing more of, of a Gil-Martin confrontation because not only do they have, you know, this, this territoriality uh, over uh, Malcolm himself, I mean, there's the whole, you know, Jessica question and, and how, you know, how much history is there between Gil and Jessica, which obviously Martin is very jealous of as well. So, I mean, moving forward, it's, it's opened up, obviously, uh, some, some different storylines and, and kind of a Pandora's box of, of issues that we'll, we'll get to, to investigate over many subsequent seasons, we hope. That kind of leads me into my next question, because it seemed like the whole Jessica issue really touched a nerve for the both of them, actually, in that, converse, in that conversation. Now, while Gil is certainly a father figure to Malcolm, do you think that a potential relationship with Jessica could affect that dynamic, and is that something that Gil would even really consider? You know, <laughs> uh, uh, we keep hearing about these... Uh, potential storylines and, and, and the potential dynamics. What, what I think we've done in this first season is to set up, you know, some, some very, very uh, interesting and, and uh, electric, you know, dynamics between all of the characters. And so if we toss a twist in there, like, you know, a potential relationship between Gil and, and Jessica, that's going to have some really, I think, far-reaching repercussions, uh, most obviously with Malcolm. I mean, that, is just, that would just be weird. But, you know, that's what we do on this show. But I also think <laughs> it would affect, you know, Gil's ability to view his own job uh, clearly. Uh, it'll affect the team. And and so uh, uh, because it will get messy, uh, I, I actually anticipate the writers going there. Talking to Lou Diamond Phillips, who plays Gil Arroyo on Fox's Prodigal Son, which is every Monday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on Fox and on the Fox Now app. Now, speaking of relationships and speaking of your team, by the way, it seems like Danny has taken a particular interest in Malcolm. We've seen little flashes of that over the course of a few episodes. Do you think Gil's picked up on that? And do you feel like that is something that he would discourage or encourage? I I think Gil sees everything. You know, I mean, nothing gets by him but the wind. I, I know that it's interesting because he often puts uh, uh, Danny, Danny together with Malcolm, and he does that, you know, uh, for a reason. And I think uh, that that he trusts Danny to to be supportive of him. And I, I, I think also that Gil senses, you know, that, that these two have a lot in common. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it was revealed earlier in the season that, that Danny has a, a substance issue because of, you know, some undercover work that mm-hmm. she did. And, and she's got her own demons, and that these two could be, you know, very good for each other. Time and time again, Gil says, you know, you know, uh, Malcolm go with towel. Uh, you know, there's an upcoming episode where I where I actually tell Danny, you know, keep an eye on him. So, so I, I get that they're close and that they're good for each other. If that were to spin into a, a romance, once again, that might get messy. We don't know. Uh, I think, you know, how Gil would uh, would uh, react to that at this point. I think that's a bridge that uh, he'll cross when he gets to it. 
Now, when I talked to Frank Hartz earlier this season, and also Keiko Geno, who you mentioned about this in previous interviews, now about how much the show is intense, but also can find humor in certain moments, which is kind of amazing in some some of these episodes. Now, you know that music could be a nice icebreaker, a good way to lighten the mood. So since music biopics are all the rage lately, and you're certainly part of one of the most famous ones ever, do you think we could possibly see at some point Gil Arroyo join the team in a celebratory karaoke night at some point, maybe? <laughs> that, 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 that has come up a lot. Wow, uh, okay, I'm not the only one. Yeah, okay. I mean, got, yeah, I know, I've got a musical background. I mean, everybody in this cast sings. I think, you know, yeah, absolutely everybody in this cast sings. And some of us, you know, have that musical theater cred. I, I don't think we'll see that anytime soon, but uh, it's it's obviously something that I think the writers are aware of, and you know none of us would shy away from going there. You know, I mean, we 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 do uh, a lot of truth is stranger than fiction kind of stuff, and uh, you know it could it could easily be a celebration, you know, kind of uh, event, but it could also be you know either Malcolm's or Martin's demented <laughs> nightmare. You know, we had, we could just do a whole musical episode of. Uh, of people singing to each other. I'm not sure if I if it matters how it happens. I think I just want this to happen. I think I need this in my life. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> now, we've seen how unconventional Malcolm's methods have been in the past. I mean, even in this last episode as well, but it seems like in this upcoming episode, he's going to be part of this internal affairs, internal affairs review, like you said. How much can you tease for us about that? How worried about Malcolm do we need to be in this upcoming episode? I think... Um the audience needs to be extremely worried. I mean, because, uh, first of all, this show is not afraid of going in an unconventional direction. Uh, I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, we kick poor Malcolm's ass on a weekly basis, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, ha- yeah, half the time, the solution, you know, costs, costs Malcolm some, some real physical pain. And, uh, you know, he, he, he got fired from the FBI in the very first episode, so this is not... You know, this is he's not bulletproof, let's just say. And I think there's there's a, uh, a a definite chance that his future and his future with the NYPD, you know, is at stake, uh, most specifically in this upcoming episode. Because everybody's aware of, you know, him crossing the line. So far, he hasn't crossed it to, to a place that is irretrievable. But, uh, you know, this this is certainly uh, the the center of, of this, this upcoming episode. So uh, that's that's one thing that, that's great about the show, and, and that I see on social media a lot, is that is that people are on the edge of their seats because they do not know what to expect. We really try to not get into a safe and comfortable place with our storylines. Now, Lou, before I before I let you go, it seems like Malcolm's father may have tried to kill him. That was one of the big revelations that we got recently, and and that's if you believe Watkins anyway. Now, how do you think that Gil will react? when he finally finds this little piece of information out? I, I think uh, he would automatically, you know, be protective of him. You know, and that's protective of his psyche. But I don't think that Gil would be surprised by that turn of events. Uh, I think that he has a, a very clear-eyed uh, and, and very, you know, jaundiced opinion of, of, uh, of Martin. He knows that he's a psychopath. And, and it, it's interesting because... You know, we have this conversation a lot as well, not only among our cast members, but, you know, with uh, our writers and directors, is that, you know, Michael Sheen, uh, and he's even mentioned this, is so charming as an actor. He is so mm. brilliant. They give him, you know, just the juiciest dialogue, and he can be very entertaining. But we have to remember, you know, that, that uh, Martin Woodley, uh, the surgeon, is, is, is a serial killer. He killed 23 people that we know of. And there has to be an aspect of him that is, absolutely frightening that is you know uh, dark and evil and twisted and uh, in in some upcoming episodes we're going to remind you of that just so that you don't get into this you know warm fuzzy place you know with with somebody who is who's basically the antagonist we can't wait to see what else is coming for detective gil arroyo on fox's prodigal son every monday night at nine o'clock eastern time make sure you're watching it again and again online and on the Fox Now app. It's the amazing Lou Diamond Phillips. Thank you so much for joining me this week. James, thank you so much for your time, brother. I appreciate it. You can just hear how immersed that Lou Diamond Phillips is, not just in his own character of Gil Arroyo, but this entire show. And as a fan of Prodigal Son, it's hard not to get immersed in it, isn't it? It's it's so intense and amazing. There's so many great characters with all kinds of great stories. There's really, it's one of these shows where there's something to like 
for pretty much everybody, especially this past episode, which was super intense and, and amazing. And this just is a show that consistently delivers that on a week-to-week basis. That's why I'm still talking about Prodigal Son and why you should definitely be watching it 9 o'clock Eastern Time every Monday night on Fox. It's been a great it's been a great week, hasn't it? And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Our 300th guys, I'm so proud of this episode and so happy that I've been able to do this with you guys for 300 episodes now without your support. This doesn't happen in the support of my family and my friends and of the sponsors of the show. The, whether you've been around since the beginning or if, you, or if you just started listening or you just started supporting the show, I appreciate you more than you could possibly imagine. Thank you so, so much for all of your support over these 300 episodes. Make sure you're supporting this week's sponsors as well. Bespoke Post, you go to boxofawesome.com and you can get 20% off your first box by entering code DNPOD at checkout. And also, make sure you're supporting Keeps. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash nerdy. You can get your first month of treatment free to help prevent hair loss. Another great thing for you to check out. And also, check us out on social media as well. Facebook.com slash down and nerdy at down and nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Always online at down and nerdy podcast. Dot com. Remember, you've heard me say this before, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.